This is Nina Kwash and Siobhan Morris, and welcome back to the Grand Challenges podcast. In this episode, we celebrate 10 years of UCL Grand Challenges and will reflect on the developments of the program over the past decade. To do so, we have invited two very special guests, Professor David Price, UCL's Vice Provost for Research, and Dr. Ian Scott, Director of Grand Challenges and Cross-Disciplinary Developments at UCL. Thank you both for joining. David, you are actually responsible for the creation of UCL Grand Challenges. Could you tell us how it all started? Yeah, it started quite a long time ago, before even I was uh, Vice Provost, because in the early part of the 2004, something like that, UCL was undergoing quite an interesting change and discussions about its future, some of which was related to a failed discussion about a merger with Imperial. So after that, we were trying to identify what is a unique feature of UCL. And so it was recognised that UCL should be a multi-faculty comprehensive university with disciplines from art to anaesthesia, Zeus to zoology. And then it was also recognised that if you're a big institution like that, you must be more than the sum of the parts and therefore make a contribution and a difference. And as a result of that, the concept of UCL having grand challenges, as well as being disciplinary excellent, came about. So can you take us back to the first few months or how it all came together? And was it very difficult to establish or was it a natural point for everyone to focus and establish the programme? So it started, I I had an inspirational shower (laughs) when the (laughs) ideas of the four grand challenges came to mind. And I started to think of them like the Audi rings, four overlapping topics going from a planetary scale global health through to a city scale activity of sustainable cities, through to the society that lives in those cities, cultural understanding, through to the individual of human well-being. And those were the four original grand challenges. But because, as usual at UCL, we don't have huge number of resources to give to, to projects, we started off by looking at the grand challenge of global health to start with. And that took a little bit of time to formulate. Anthony Costello and Dame Anne Johnson were already working in that space within the Institute of Child Health. And so we started to work with them to broaden out the engagement beyond departments in population health sciences and to bring in other actors who had different parts of the story to tell. And then the very first initiative, I suppose, that we had there was around the Lancet Commission on the Effect of Climate Change with Global Health. And I think by that time, Ian, you'd have joined us and played a significant part in in that process. Yeah, that was a really exciting period because I was looking for a job in 2008 and saw an advert in, in the Guardian classified section. So I applied I was interviewed by David and two senior colleagues in the office of the Vice Provost Research and sitting in a dentist chair in Hatton Garden. I remember the day very well, <laughs> December the 8th, 2008. There was a call from David's office manager saying, would you like the job? Of course, I leapt at it. It was a very exciting transition for me from um, being at an organisation which did things in a very specific way to this um, almost um, open-ended opportunity to explore how a comprehensive research-intensive university could 
in the words of the first research strategy, which David established in 2008, maximize our potential. So um, I started with the team as um, facilitator for Grand Challenges in January 2009, working with Anthony and, uh, and Anne on the global health side, but also getting the Sustainable Cities Grand Challenge started. So we were actually challenged by Richard Halton, who was the editor and still is the editor of The Lancet, who came to visit and I was articulating our vision of the Grand Challenges. And he said, well, that's you know easy to say. What could you deliver? And it was because of his challenge that we had this Lancet commission. We brought together about 15 or 20 UCL colleagues from different disciplines who are interested in climate change and health and society and focused on this this issue of the effect of climate change on global health. And the first meeting when you bring professors of various disciplines together, I've learned now it's very predictable that the professors will talk about what they know. They like to, and I can use this word, pontificate Mm. and be experts. And that was very interesting. People learned lots of things. Then we had a second meeting, and I think by that time I recognised that maybe a little bit of social dynamic was necessary, so we had some wine and cheese at the end. And people were still talking about what they knew, but they would begin mm. to get confident and know each other. And at the third meeting, and that was the crucial time, when they felt confident, people were then able to start talking about what they didn't know. They were able to share ignorance rather than share knowledge. And that's when you start to define really exciting questions. I was going to ask about that point exactly and the general ethos of the Grand Challenges programme regarding cross-disciplinarity and how it's not about kind of giving up your expertise in a particular discipline. It's about sharing that and building expertise across disciplines. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the difference between as you see it, cross-disciplinarity and interdisciplinarity. Uh, yes, and transdisciplinarity. There <laughs> are so many, <laughs> yes, so many uh, things. For us, the weakness of the word interdisciplinary, in some respects, gave the impression of having a superficial knowledge on many things. Yeah. And what it is that we seek is to recognise that we encourage cross-disciplinary activity based on disciplinary excellence. So we bring together experts from different areas and challenge them with exciting questions, Mm. which they rise to address. But to start with, everybody is a little bit nervous of going outside their comfort zone. But that's why a university environment like UCL, where we can be collegial and supportive, it isn't such a threatening environment as perhaps being in public. And one of the challenges of going to conferences, for example, is people are always rather defensive about their own territory. Whereas in an institution like UCL, you can get over that. And as I say, really start to share ignorance, which I think is the key initiative. And we have good wine and cheese, which always helps. Well, we have moderately good wine. <laughs> well, that, that helps a lot. But just to add to David's point about sharing ignorance, I think what UCL has developed is this really creative humility around... Yeah the importance of divulging what you know and could contribute to the understanding of some complex problem, but also bringing other people in, in a manner that makes them feel comfortable. And I know with um, Anthony Costello, a paediatrician, Anne Johnson, an expert on sexual health and disease, 
that the actual responsibility of running the Lancet Commission on managing the health effects of climate change was very, very important in the development of their own academic journeys, their own scholarly journeys. So they have independently become very important contributors to national debates on climate change and how the government should work on that and encourage um, action across sectors in regard to um, limiting the damaging effects of global warming. And they've had international impact as well. So there's no doubt that cross-disciplinary working also enhances one's career if anyone was hesitating in getting in touch and now you know you can. I think that's absolutely true and I think you've spoken to Anthony Costello who has been very articulate about that but one of the things just sort of like metrics and I don't always believe in lots of metrics but sometimes they're useful that Lancet Commission the first one that we produced turned out to be the most downloaded publication that Elsevier produced in that year and has gone on to be you know one of the most highly cited papers so authors get lots of credit for that. But it's also led as a collaboration to a significantly funded research project by Wellcome Trust to continue it onwards. So many of these um, initiatives that we've led out of Grand Challenges have led to major research initiatives in their own right funded by outside uh, sources. So although we have meagre resources within Grand Challenges, they are seed corn for things which grow more widely. And I think a very good example of that is the second Lancet Commission on Shaping Cities for Health, which Yvonne Ryden, professor in the Bartlett uh, School of Planning, led with contributions from colleagues across the university, I think it's five or six faculties. But one really interesting aspect of that particular commission was the fact that it involved uh, researchers from other parts of the world, who were here at UCL on sabbatical. So it provided a really nice experience for people visiting our institution to augment their contribution to the world through what they know in their own subject, through engaging in this cross-disciplinary conversation. And one of the wonderful outputs from that particular commission was welcome support for the uh, collaboration between the Bartlett building physicist Mike Davies and his counterpart, who's an expert on pollution at London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. So they were looking at air quality and the urban heat island effect and how that impacts um, on people's health in in the uh, massively growing megacities of, of this world. And they've become incredibly influential on that topic over the last few years. And I think one of the other features about how the Grand Challenges have evolved is that initially we didn't know that it was going to work. So we kept the first Grand Challenge very much, if you like, an in-house event, I think. But as we became familiar with how to get it Mm. to work and we saw the success, we brought in more people from outside. So now I think our mentality is very much one of welcoming experts from any institution who want to become involved with that. And on that note... You mentioned we started with four Grand Challenges and a few years into the programme, we added two more, Justice and Equality and Transformative Technology. Where did the impetus come from? Did you have any other ideas for consideration? Was it another inspirational shower moment? No, I don't think that was my shower. Um, um, (laughs) What what happened was that um, when Professor Michael Arthur arrived, he was very impressed by the 
Nature of Cross-Disciplinarity at UCL, and it featured in UCL 2034 as a characteristic of the institution. And he said, well, look, David, it's been very successful. Wouldn't it be a great idea just to do a bit of a review of where we've been in the five or six years into the programme and to see if there are other things that we could be doing? So Ian and I were involved in setting up a variety of consultations and town halls. And I thought that people might say, well, we're bored with some of these grand challenges. We'll close them down. But nobody did. Everybody wanted to sustain it. But also there were some new ideas came up. And Ian, you were involved in nurturing some of those. (laughs) It was was rather good fun going around talking to people, saying, where are the gaps in our current grand challenges portfolio? So one of the first people I spoke to was the, the then Dean of Engineering, Professor Anthony Pinkelstein. He made the comment that uh, the current set of grand challenges didn't, as he put it, and I have air quotes here, speak to my people. <laughs> so there was a question there. How could we do something in the grand challenges program to encourage technologists, to encourage engineers of all stripes to be proactive in coming forward with, with their ideas that would be a motivation for colleagues from other parts of the university to fall in with them, come in with them on looking at some of the societally complex issues which um, are being thrown up by the advance of technology. Hence, transformative technology as one of the two newly introduced grand challenges in 2016-17. And then I guess... In the last decade, the whole issue of inequality and social justice became bigger and bigger um, headline issue. And although it was something that we always considered within elements of the grand challenges on global health, because there were the inequality issues there, on sustainable cities, on all the others, we felt it was worthwhile and important enough to highlight in its own sense. So the final grand challenge, if you like, of justice and equality came out of that, not just seen as a legal or ethical issue, but in the wider sense. And so we moved from sort of the Audi rings to something which is more (laughs) akin to the the Olympic logo with more overlapping circles. But um, I think the integration of all of those ideas are working really well. And now we're seeing some initiatives which are cross-grand challenge areas, such as equality, justice and global health, which just add additional richness to the research discussions that we can have. I think one good example of that was from a regionally focused initiative that we had when we looked at India, and we had an initiative called India Voices. I think this is really rather influential in terms of how Grand Challenges as a strategic part of UCL connects up with our global engagement strategy. So we had an opportunity to look at UCL's potential to work collaboratively with counterparts at Indian institutions of higher learning and with other stakeholders in in India. And I think that's been quite an exciting contribution, at least, from Grand Challenges, thinking across disciplines, also thinking across borders. That's interesting, because that also brings into how my office has Office of Vice Provost Research, my job is to try to stimulate new thinking in the institution. And the Grand Challenges have helped develop a matrix approach to thinking about research. And I was going to ask a a related question around 
not just bringing people together and stimulating a kind of matrix across UCL, but across the sector now, there's a focus on grand challenges. And many other institutions are also implementing grand challenges programs. And so I wondered if you wanted to comment on that and what some of the kind of sectoral challenges might be. Well, it's always nice to see other people picking up one's <laughs> ideas. And I do think UCL was one of the first, if not the first, to have grand challenges. Yeah. Now everybody has grand challenges. Even the European Union's got grand challenges. But I think it is. it was an idea of, of the moment, and I still think it's relevant today. One of the reasons why UCL was so successful is that we are a comprehensive multi-faculty yeah. university. You know, there aren't too many gaps in our intellectual armory, so you can develop that cross-disciplinary activity quite quickly. But as I said, what we've tried to do is to engage as widely as possible with the sector now. And the other, if you like, thought for the time is the idea of place yeah. within the country. And so now is the ideal opportunity for UCL to reach out and work with universities in other parts of the country to address grand challenge type questions, but which may actually have a local delivery or local significance as well. So I think it is opening up this next um, wave of opportunities, which would be to the benefit of the United Kingdom, yeah. as well as UCL in the past has probably thought more easily about South Asia or West Africa. But now we can talk about Lincoln or County Durham in the same sort of way. And interestingly, the government has its own grand challenges and its industrial strategy, yeah. which very strongly emphasise the issue of place, you know, where we can actually ensure, as a society, trying to level up, to use the current phraseology, to ensure that those parts of the United Kingdom that have not fared quite so well in recent decades can also see some enhancement in their prosperity. But it's very much not UCL turning up in some part of the country saying, move out of the way, we know yeah. the answers. We are aiming always to work with local colleagues and co-design solutions to problems which have been defined. And that's a methodology which UCL researchers have developed widely in their global engagement. Yeah, that's really a nice example of our relationship with uh, part of UCL of growing importance, UCL Culture, which is responsible for our public engagement programme. But they recently created an outfit called the Centre for Co-Production in Health Research. And the Grand Challenge of Justice and Equality supported the development of a Centre for Collaborative Inclusion Health. It's really absolutely pioneering in, in the world, looking at the issues around the health of homeless people who are really not properly accommodated in any health system in the world. And so Andrew Hayward, the director of the Institute of Epidemiology and Public Health, applied to us for a little bit of money to work with a co-production centre in UCL Culture to um, launch this particular initiative, which was so humbling, I think, in, at least in my experience, because it brought in experts by experience, people who themselves had been homeless and had had, of course, serious social and health problems to overcome. And this has been a, a really, I think, valuable lesson for us in terms of working with communities so that people are not just having stuff done to them, but they're actually involved in the process of generating questions for researchers to answer. 
And that's a methodology we very much encourage in all our activities. And it's always great to see that momentum that we've created has then evolved into bigger things. And we've touched on this a little bit, talking about success and metrics. And over the years, the programme has, has had some major successes. I was wondering what you were personally the proudest of and if you have any anecdotes that you'd like to share in particular. So I think one which stands out, well, there are so many that stand out, but the Global Disability Innovation Hub, which was supported by the Grand Challenges of Human Wellbeing, and is led by Catherine Holloway. That has gone on to attract significant sums, multi-million pound grants from funding agencies, but also because of the link that we had with activities associated with the Paralympic Games and the fact that UCL has a developing presence in Stratford and so forth. There is the link there with the LLDC and the community of those who are suffering from various disabilities. So it's, it is not only, if you like, great research, it is societally inclusive, it's developing activity in part of London which needs further support and fits in with UCL's East's um, agenda and is part of a, a much wider activity, I suppose, that we have at UCL, which is excellent in Institute of um, Healthcare Engineering, which is on a broader scale that Becky Shipley is uh, leading now. And another example that is also relating to UCL East is the connection with the Centre for Access to Justice and Health in UCL Laws. So they facilitated the availability of pro bono legal support for people attending the GP surgery in the, in the Ludwig Gutmann Health and Wellbeing Centre to address the fact that a lot of the problems that people are coming to GP surgeries with are to do with their difficulties in life, which lead to poor mental health, certainly impact negatively on their well-being. So perhaps we could give them something else, as well as the sorts of advice that a, a general practitioner is in a position to provide. And that's been incredibly successful with law students being available to members of the public who want to talk about their, their peripheral problems as well as their, their health problems. Another example that comes to mind is the Centre for Behavioural Change, oh, yes. yeah. led by Professor Susan Mickey. She is an outstanding behavioural change scientist in her own right, but by supporting a network of colleagues to work with mm. her in different spaces, she has established with initial UCL Grand Challenge support a really significant effort, and she is playing a significant role at the moment in advising governments on behaviour during this pandemic that we're suffering at the moment, coronavirus. And so, again, that's another seed corn which has blossomed and made impact in different ways. Yes, and of course, 10 years of Grand Challenge is a natural moment of reflection. So I wondered, what next? What does the next 10 years of Grand Challenges look like to you both? I'm afraid to say we haven't solved the world's problems yet. So I Will think... that be done in the next 10 years? <laughs> Will it <laughs> be redundant? I... So I think the Grand Challenges have still got relevance and we still would need to do it. One thing which is happening, though, is the recognition that the outputs of Grand Challenge activity go beyond, if you like, the more traditional university outputs of publications and so forth 
and we're developing a much closer link with colleagues working in public policy because really the issues that grand challenges address because they're so societally focused really need to be translated into implementation and that can only be done in collaboration with governments or non-governmental organizations in this country or around the world so i think the next phase for our grand challenges will be not only exciting ideas but a greater emphasis on translating those into policy and working with governments and communities to make sure that they get implemented as appropriate. And I think the example of our initiative through Justice and Equality, through its Exploring Inequalities um, initiative a couple of years ago, is a case in point. Uh, So we worked jointly with the public policy part of OVPR and with the Resolution Foundation to generate the report that um, you wrote, Siobhan, and we're all very proud of that. Co-wrote. <laughs> Co-wrote, sorry. <laughs> so that's had a bearing upon the deliberations of the UK 2070 Commission, yeah. and I think it's also going to be helpful in UCL's contribution in this making universities better. And of course, what we're also doing is recognising that world has moved on in the last 10 or 12 years, and that there are other ways of framing challenges. And so we are very much concerned at UCL with the Sustainable Development Goals. And of course, the the Sustainable Development Goals look through the world's problems through one lens, and the grand challenges look through them through a different lens, but actually they intersect. And one of the things that we're doing is, is highlighting those intersections of grand challenge topics with SDG issues, so that we can start articulating our insights and our research successes in the context of SDG objectives. And that's another way of doing the public policy activity because parts of the government and the United Nations are are focused on understanding things in terms of SDGs. So we have to translate our grand challenge thinking into their thinking. And there there are virtues in doing these things in both ways. So we're not going to stop doing grand challenges and just do SDGs. But what we are going to do is do grand challenges and think about how they relate to various combinations of of sustainable development goals. So a slightly different framing. Yeah. And a very useful one, I think, because it means that in our contribution on the SDGs, we can nuance in a manner that isn't kind of recognised by the UN SDGs programme how some of those important targets can be met. And we've got some very uh, creative thinking already in in place, I think, at UCL on recognising the the trade-offs and the synergies that are possible in this um, aim to try and achieve the 2030 goals in the next 10 years. We've got 10 years left before these globally recognised goals need to be achieved if we are to make our contribution to saving the planet. We've spoken at length about the programme as a whole. Without wishing to turn this into a slightly darker episode of Grand Challenges podcast, I wondered if I could ask you about your own... I suppose, just general reflections on the last 10 years. Well, thank you for that very stimulating <laughs> question, Siobhan. So, yes, I think there's a lot of fun to be had from thinking across disciplines. Yeah. It makes working in a comprehensive research intensive university that much more interesting than it would be if you were confining your conversations to people who had only the same yeah. vocabulary of learning as, as yourself. And so initiatives like the wonderments of the cosmos project that we had a few years ago which linked the department of anthropology 
with uh, UCL physics and, and astronomy. So there are guys who came together for that particular initiative who are still working together six years later. But it, it was quite a stretch to go from the way that people in tribes in Central America look up to the heavens and think about the nature of its existence alongside those who commute between London and, and CERN to the particle accelerator there to question the nature of existence. But that's one of the advantages of this university, that we make such things happen. Yes, and I think the thing which I'm most pleased by, by the Grand Challenges, is really the way that it's changed the ethos of the institution so that collaboration, cross-disciplinarity, thinking about UCL's role in the world is now, I think, quite firmly embedded into the culture and ethos of the institution. I'm not suggesting that they were absent 15 years ago, but they were far less confidently expressed, and I think they were far less widely recognised. I think UCL is recognised as a pioneer in the area of cross-disciplinarity, and I'm reminded of an amusing event when the research councils, the seven research councils that exist, NERC, MRC, EPSRC, they were beginning to be challenged about working inside silos and how would they fund cross-disciplinarity. So they themselves convened a meeting between the councils to talk about cross-disciplinarity. And each council was asked to bring along an example of a PI who was doing cross-disciplinary work. Well, the original invitation list, six out of the seven researchers were going to come from UCL. They obviously had to rebalance the agenda. (laughs) But it did indicate to me that we were not only talking the talk, but we were walking the walk outside UCL as well. And I think that has, and it still is, a brand, if you like, characteristic. We've come a long way since that first inspirational Mm -hmm. shower moment, haven't we? I've had a few others since then. (laughs) Showers, that is. (laughs) Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for the work that you're doing for supporting the Grand Challenges too. And the the next generation of enthusiasm. It's great. Thank you both. I I can only echo that. It's been a wonderful experience being interviewed by you both. Thank you. Thank you.